0: Hey, it's episode 146. Have you been feeling down a lot lately? A sense of sadness, despair, isolation, purposelessness? The world is a frickin' lot right now and it's genuinely a strange time to be alive. We're seeing, hearing, and witnessing some of the most insane, ridiculous, illogical chaos that is directly impacting our lives in a negative way. Your life, and of course, leading to these negative feelings, these low states of mental health which we feel on some days like is the end, like you can't turn it around, like you can't go on. I too have had these experiences as well, so I get it. If this is resonating with you, then I have some happy, healthy insights to help you manually leverage the creation and manufacture of your happy hormones, which you can actually do a lot to create and bring about, which is amazing, and will give a much better sense of stability, control and contentment in the current world of absurdity and in the context of your own life right now. So if you'd like some of them eggs, stick around and let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne up my healthy friends i'm glad you're here with me today and we've just had the quit sugar summit last week and whew, what a week of genius minds downloading their knowledge that was coming together to make the world a healthier place i absolutely love this time of year so if you've found me or this podcast via the quit sugar summit i want to say a warm welcome to my new healthy friends what's up welcome to the healthy friends fam how you doing so you know it's my mission to coach 250 men and women to lose weight and be their healthier self before the end of December 2021. So here in Melbourne, Australia, and I realize there are a ton of you tuning in from all over the globe, but this will be relevant to everyone in some context. But here in Melbourne, at least, springtime has just kicked off, which is such a beautiful season and time of the year. And it's that time of the year that in most countries, people start peaking People start perking up and feeling good about life and getting excited. Summer's coming and all of those activities, the beers, the beach, the family events and the holidays and, you know, all the things are coming. Like the spring, that first bit of sunshine and that bit of warmth gives hope, a new hope, right? However, this year in much of the world and certainly here in Australia, particularly Melbourne and Victoria and Sydney and New South Wales, at this point in time, We're all locked up in our homes with a curfew. Yes, if you're international and you don't know what's going on here in Australia, we have a 9pm curfew. We have to be in our homes. It is insanity. And for the last however many months, and sadly I feel like I'm very soon to be saying the last couple of years... We've been imprisoned, traumatised and limited by the unconstitutional behaviours of our government and not that you need me to point it out because every single one of you know this but we're all experiencing significant mental health struggles and challenges and we know as well that the suicide rates are much higher than they have been in other years and I know that some people will say the coroner's report says there's no change in these numbers however I encourage you to speak with firefighters or paramedics and psychologists and then go and look into how they report suicides because how those numbers have been influenced in recent times, well, let's just say it's a very important time to maintain an increasingly curious mind around everything that's going on right now. But the point is that there is stuff happening in our heads and our hearts that feels pretty heavy, feels pretty uncomfortable and really crappy and low right now. One of the interesting things that I come across regularly when talking about feelings is that people seem to have this inclination to divide the mind and the body, to separate our emotions from our physical body, as if they're disconnected. This often pops up when it comes to putting foods, supplements, pharmaceutical drugs, particular types of injections, anything like that into our system. People might eat a certain type of food and not connect it to a mood or a pattern of thinking that happens soon thereafter. Equally, I've heard many reports of people asking questions about how a drug or an injection might affect them emotionally or physically and people or doctors dismissing any connection between the substance or the injection or the solution that you're putting into your body and the person's emotional state or state of mind after that it's common to see on on the list of side effects for many different things that you put in your body foods included uh, depression and anxiety however when you sit down after putting a solution in your body or after putting food in your body or it might be gluten and it might be dairy and it might be needles with magical solutions in them or it might be regular pharmaceutical drugs and then afterwards you feel sad or you feel low or you feel moody, right? And most people do their best to disconnect your feeling from the physical body as if feelings do not have a physical material reality, which is much of what this episode is going to be about today. And this is perpetuated throughout our modern day society, this belief. Our belief or our society is addicted to the narrative of the five senses that which presents in material reality. When we start talking feelings, people get weird and they actively cut it off as a possibility that it's connected to anything physical as soon as they can. It's an interesting little thing that's been present in our world for a very long time. But... I'm here to change that idea in your mind because every single one of those feelings and thoughts that you have about yourself or about the world are actual physical things happening inside your physical body. There's nothing esoteric about them. They're all connected and have influence and impact upon one another in both directions. And given that we're in this situation with lockdowns and stressors coming in at us from every single angle and whether willingly or unwillingly, most of us are now chronically addicted to bad news cycle, which by the way, is an actual addiction psychologists speak about being addicted to bad news, which is fundamentally an addiction to the hormonal profile that is produced within your body in response to a stressful event. And some people can be addicted to that bad news cycle or that stress hormone profile by repeating situations in their life that repeat childhood trauma or repeat the the way that they were loved as a child, which might be really quite toxic, whatever it might be. But the point is that you can actually be addicted physiologically and emotionally and mentally to those responses. And it's very hard over the last year and a half to two years to have not, by sheer force of volume, not be pushed into an addiction to that kind of news or that kind of stress response, which is why today's episode is widely applicable to basically everyone that's at least been in Australia at a bare minimum, right? So, we must find a way to manually engage with and increase our happy hormones because on the contrary, as much as we're experiencing all these stressors and all these challenging emotions, we've obviously got hormones and neurotransmitters in our body to counteract that because, you know, a human body that is depressed and anxious and sad all the time is a pretty redundant human in the context of that person's entire life, right? So, we've got happy hormones that help us get back to being of utility to ourselves and to society, right? And so, that's what I want to talk about today because none of us want to be stuck in that place of seemingly redundant existence. It's pretty miserable and obviously some people take the suicide option which is devastating and i i you know and i don't say that lightly my own cousin who's not many years older than me in fact committed suicide in one of these dreadful lockdowns which is devastating and and that's not me looking for sympathy i'm just i'm just sharing with you that i have some context of understanding that this can really hit home for some people that experience hence The motivation for today's episode. (laughs) We want to boost you up and you can do it. You can do it yourself from home with these things that I'm about to share with you. So, when it comes to happy hormones, I want to share with you a few of the big players and some of the more commonly known players in the game and some tips on how you can use diet or lifestyle to manually hack the system and jack these bad boys up so you feel better about yourself and the world. And the last item I share on the bill or somewhere near the end, is really going to be the most important piece that you can do. So, let's get into this. Let's get stuck into it. Let's get those happy vibes going. So, first up, endorphins. Endorphins. Heard of them? They're your friend. Now, interestingly, endorphins, that name is derived from the term endogenous morphine. And obviously, morphine is an opiate that is used as a very powerful painkiller within medicine. And so, endorphins or endogenous morphine is called this because in your body, they behave in a similar way to the manufactured drug morphine and they block pain and are like the body's own natural painkiller. Endorphins are made by your body, by your cells, And there are actually a group of different endorphins and they're classified this way as a group of molecules that have opiate-like activity. So, they behave like the pharmaceutical drugs or, or like the drugs that nature makes, right? There are a number of reasons why we have endorphins in our body as it allows us to push past pain to achieve a particular goal. Whether it be, and if we go back a few thousand years to give context to where our genetics came from and how our biology developed... Whether it be wrestling a bear in the forest, (laughs) you know, and we get wounded in the process, we can't feel the pain immediately because we're still focused on surviving or whether running for your life from a lion and you stand on, A rose bush, (laughs) or you trip over and hurt yourself, or the lion gets a swipe at you. Again, same scenario. You can't hurt immediately because you still need to get away from that place. Or whether it be something a bit more modern, surviving a physical fight with another human or defending somebody. It allows us to get through painful events. And and if we think about even more modern stuff, if you go for a run and you get a blister, but you don't feel the blister until you take your shoe off and the endorphins have subsided, right? Right. So, it helps us get through tough exercise, which is good because if we felt the pain of exercise instantly, we'd probably never do exercise. (laughs) And it's the same with other stressful events that produce pain. These endorphins temporarily protect you from that physical pain. So, how do we produce these endorphins in the body? The number one method is actually vigorous exercise. Since you can't just go and run in a group of lions and really spice up your life, (laughs) doing intense anaerobic exercise up until the energy stores, the glycogen and the oxygen are starting to run quite low, that's when we release endorphins, which allows us to push through that last little bit of the tank being basically empty. So, it isn't so much of a happiness boost, it's more of a feel-less-crap handicap. (laughs) The other well-known endorphin release comes from eating spicy food. Literally, as soon as it hits your tongue, your taste buds send information to your brain to release endorphins. Because if you're as white and Australian as me, some pain is definitely coming if your tongue is detecting spicy foods. (laughs) I actually personally love spicy food, but it definitely took me a solid six months of actively conditioning my palate and my body to get used to that experience. But don't get me wrong, I still sweat like a crazy person so easily when there's spicy food. But that's another way that endorphins get released in the body is spicing up your diet. But that's another way that you can get endorphin release. The other thing to mention too is that exercise is often referred to by many health professionals as the most powerful antidepressant. And this release of of endorphins is absolutely a part of why and as we get into the other few things that I'm going to share here today, you'll really start to understand why exercise is a really powerful antidepressant. It's a cocktail of amazing, happy hormones. All right, so the next one. Number two, serotonin. Not quite a hormone, but in fact, a neurotransmitter. Serotonin is an MVP in the don't-worry- be happy space. <laughs> Functionally, serotonin sends signals between your nerve cells, particularly your nervous system and brain, which explains a lot as to why it impacts your happiness so much. Not only that, remember, the body is functional. There's seldom ever a single action or effect. And so serotonin also impacts both digestion and and sleep cycles. So, as you can see, a problem with serotonin doesn't just make you a little bit sad, but then interrupts two of the major contributors to your overall health status, your gut health and your sleep. And if your sleep is dysregulated, that also leads to gut health dysregulation, which leads to emotional instability. And you can just see, it's just like this interweaving tethered web of problems that contribute to one another. So, How do we get more serotonin then to solve all of these issues? The good thing is that we can actively do all of these things today. So, the first thing is to think happy thoughts. Sounds cliche, I know. But remembering a past event that brings a smile or brings laughter or positivity or even watching a TV show that really makes you laugh and express happiness or an activity that brings positivity and positive energy and positive states of perspective to mind – are really, really useful in boosting serotonin. And the other thing is, and I think we've all been trying really hard to do this in the last year and a half, it's to focus on gratitude. And don't get me wrong, I hear you. This has been going on so long, some days gratitude doesn't work. Some days we don't care about anything and we're not grateful for anything. Even though deep down we know we are, but some days emotionally getting to that place of gratitude is really hard. But this is why it's a practice getting better at it by doing it every single day. So focusing on gratitude and the things that you feel truly lucky to have in your life, be it your partner, be it your car, be it running water, be it the ability to go outside on your balcony and get vitamin D, which is so important for mental health, whatever it is. And the simpler, the better. The more you practice gratitude, the more that serotonin that you can produce. And the simpler your gratitude gets, the more profound that it can get which sounds like a bit of an oxymoron. But what I mean is that the more complex that you make feeling good, the more challenging it will be for your body to be able to go deep on that feeling and expand it and make it an expansive experience. So the simpler and clearer, the more clarity you can have around your gratitude, the better the serotonin effect will be. All of these things help boost that serotonin up. The next thing is why I started out talking about the sun earlier and it being spring here in uh, Australia. Direct sunlight onto your bare naked skin produces vitamin D and one of the amino acids within serotonin called tryptophan relies heavily on vitamin D to do its work. So, this molecular mechanism is made possible by getting more sunlight and you've likely heard me saying it a bunch of times, vitamin D is a feature of almost all illness and all disease and in this case... Negative mental health states. So get into the sun or get a good supplement into your body on a daily basis. Uh, Really important thing, quick one, quick little side note with supplements of vitamin D, try and have vitamin D supplements before midday because vitamin D is connected to your body's metabolic perception of when daytime is. So having vitamin D at night does not have a positive impact on melatonin, which is your sleep hormone. It does not help it. In fact, it delays it and sometimes blocks it. So, have your vitamin D supplement in the first half of the day. All right, back to the program. <laughs> so, we also mentioned intense exercise producing endorphins before, but for serotonin specifically, lower intensity exercise is where it is produced and often lingers around, which contributes to that great feeling after a workout that you might have of feeling just good about yourself and your body feeling good. No, you don't have to choose endorphins or serotonin because endorphins Meaning you don't have to pick between high or low intensity exercise. It's not like, well, I'm only getting the benefits of one. If you warm up and warm down correctly in your exercise, most exercise routines should allow both phases of serotonin production and endorphin production to happen if there's periods of both aerobic and anaerobic throughout your session. Okay, So that's how you can leverage both of those statuses. Which, and I'm starting to un- like reveal the picture as to why uh, exercise is such a good antidepressant because it plays into all of these hormones that I'm talking about right now. The next serotonin booster is about consuming the right type of protein. Not necessarily tons of protein or being fully carnivore, but eating the amino acids that are required to build this neurotransmitter. Tryptophan-containing foods include eggs, and particularly pasture-raised, you know, the organic biodynamic type. Spirulina, wild caught fish, wild everybody, wild, wild, wild fish. Grass-fed beef. You see you see a bit of a pattern here in that in order to get the right type of nutrition from your animal protein sources, those animal protein sources need to have lived as close to a natural life as possible, which is why I'm a big fan here in Australia of eating kangaroo, wallaby and crocodile. Very big fans because they often live in their natural habitat when they are caught. Uh, Anyway, potatoes, beans, legumes, bananas... And organic, again, organic and raw dairy products, right? So making sure that those animals are as healthy as they can be in order for you to get the nutrition from them. It's much like when a woman is pregnant. If the mother's body is not healthy, you're very likely to produce an unhealthy baby that is susceptible to autoimmune disease, that has all sorts of health issues and allergies. It's the same with your animal protein. It's the same with your fruits and vegetables. If the soil, if the animal is unhealthy and then you go and consume the food after that, it's, it's going to be, you know, of equal or lower quality. So organic, biodynamic, you know, all those things, naturally hunted. That's where you're going to get the good stuff from. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. But all of these foods that I've just mentioned contain tryptophan, okay? And although many of these foods as well, like the bananas and the potatoes and vegetables and stuff like that, although most people don't look at those foods and think protein, most foods, actually all food, has some degree of protein in it, right? They're not protein-dominant foods, but they definitely have small degrees of protein within their cells. So, get these foods into your body to help manage the supply of tryptophan. All right, number three. Number three has a reputation for being the happy hormone. Now, I'm talking about the group of happy hormones, but this is the happy hormone. Dopamine. This is the hormone that is touted with keeping us alive. It's the hormone that allows the cycle of reward-seeking behavior to take place because when we achieve a goal or get the thing we really want, dopamine is released and we feel pleasure, happiness, pride for having done the thing. Animalistically speaking, in the past, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, it particularly drove us to hunt for food and to have sex so that it meant survival and reproduction of the species. And it still does mean those things because we obviously still do both of those things. But the world is absolutely loaded with dopamine hijackers now. So we know so much about how to manipulate and control people using their dopamine pathways that the whole design of social media and computer games are based on the idea of hacking your reward systems. It's because of dopamine that you might not be able to put your phone down, constantly seeking the next micro hit of dopamine, the next notification, the next message, the next update, the next Insta Live, the next information source of whatever. The problem in the modern day is that we've gotten our dopamine hits to a frequency that is incredibly unnatural and a hit volume that is so low in volume that within seconds after that hit, we are already withdrawing and need another. So we go back and we go back and we go back and then we're essentially dopamine addicted. This is not how Mother Nature intended this biological mechanism to be taken advantage of. And so if you're stuck in this loop, which I'd say many people are keeping in mind constantly putting sweet or savory foods into our body is also chasing the dopamine hit in some way. There's a sugar addiction there and there's a dopamine addiction going on there. That's a conversation for another day. But you might actually need to consider dopamine fasting, which is simply training your brain, just like intermittent fasting, simply training your brain to progressively go longer in between dopamine hits. Same with intermittent fasting, longer in between meals, right? Like everything I get on my high horse about, don't go in to dopamine fasting overnight for three days and just cut everything out of your life because guess what you're going to go through a huge withdrawal and you'll come crashing back you've got to build up by you know turning your phone off for an hour or turning your phone off until a single task is done that's what i've done right now my phone is off until i finish this podcast so that i don't curiously play into my dopamine pathway by being like oh who sent me a message now i want to talk to them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a little way to uh, hack the system. Just start building up these resilience. And it sounds... I know I know you might be thinking, oh, so pathetic that I have to turn my phone off to get anything done. Who cares if it's pathetic? If that's what needs to happen, do it. Make it happen. I put my phone in the kitchen cupboard overnight and then try not to touch it until about 11. Unless I've got something to promote on social media in the morning, podcast or an event, I try and leave it off until 11 in the morning. This is just ways that I have developed over time to essentially dopamine fast, so I can be more productive and present in the morning. So, you might need to do something similar, right? Uh, And whether it be taking on new challenging or lengthy tasks each day, like you do focus on a task for 30 minutes and then the next day you try 40 minutes and then the next day you try 50 minutes or maybe it's a week of 40 minutes and then it's another week of 50 minutes and then it's a week of an hour and you, you slowly build that muscle. I really would encourage you to do that because most of us, anyone that's on social media has likely got some degree of dopamine addiction, which plays into any sugar craving food addiction that you might have as well There's multiple layers there. So if you can start working on the dopamine addiction first, then that's awesome because both of those things essentially controlling that part of your world right now. But despite many of us being trapped in that world of that dopamine addiction, many people need to boost it up not just more of it, but increase it in the right way. And, and please note as well, through boosting it up and dopamine fasting together... You can actually do these things simultaneously and it's actually an excellent approach to make you better at day-to-day life. But remember, small increments over time. So, to start, a simple daily, weekly or monthly checklist that you physically tick things off from is a great way to begin. I personally love my daily checklists and you may have heard me say this before, it feels good to tick things off. But don't self-sabotage by writing a list that's so ridiculously long of all the things you need to do, I'd recommend slightly underestimating what can be achieved in the time you've got, tick everything off, collect that dopamine as you do it and take a break as a reward. Or you can go across and do some additional tasks that you didn't expect to be able to do. The point is having direction, purpose and intention will help you manage and benefit from your dopamine rather than having social media and dating apps using it all against you because literally they're hardwired to use it against you. Interestingly, dopamine rises together with serotonin when we exercise and so you can put in a little hack here that helps both of these rise higher by not just working out but having a goal or intention within the context of the workout like running a certain distance, a certain number of kilometers or miles or lifting a certain amount of weight or doing a certain number of circuits or repetitions. Simply put, the physical activity will get you the serotonin hit and the intention of you doing something or achieving something or working towards something or a goal produces the subsequent outcome of achievement and thus the goal and the achievement will give you the dopamine. So as you're starting to see, doing these workouts is producing the endorphins, the serotonin and the dopamine if, if done right. So it's amazing. This is why exercise, physical exercise from your apartment, from outside, wherever it is, is the powerhouse of anti-depression. It's amazing. All right, the next one. The next one, number four, the love hormone. (laughs) That was so creepy. (laughs) Oxytocin. When someone says they're on the oxy, let's really hope this is what they mean. (laughs) Oxytocin is all about those love, trust and connection vibes and is really most often present when we have physical human contact. Something that in this lockdown, mask-wearing, elbow-greeting, hand-sanitising nightmare has become something of a distant memory. People are now scared of each other, which I genuinely believe, and I have no evidence to support this, but I think that having us fear one another, to stay away from each other and not be able to interpret the emotions on each other's face, which naturally increases the physical distance between us through fear of the unknown, is all a part of the plan to divide and conquer a large group of individuals. Terrible, but in context of your oxytocin, people being so isolated from each other that, you know, people that you love and care about with no physical interaction, no physical touch is something that of course makes you feel sad and alone and isolated and not releasing oxytocin upon physical contact means that that previously you were likely used to doing maybe every day or every few days before all of this happened Now, you or we are all starved of this oxytocin and the human interaction and social connection that naturally comes with being close enough to a human to touch them is now arguably one of the number one human deficiencies on the planet right now. And for those that don't necessarily have a long-term intimate partner, if it's your sex life that you've been separated from for months or even years, the deficiency here is massive because sex is like ODing on oxytocin, ODing in a good way. (laughs) But I shouldn't just pigeonhole that last comment for single household people, not in a relationship. One of the saddest things that I hear about working with clients and talking to so many people and particularly women is that sex hasn't been a thing in their marriage for a long time because they got too busy or they got too bored or it's been years since you felt good in your own body enough to be able to have the confidence to present yourself and be sexual. And so... It might surprise you that one of the main outcomes of my program, The Ultimate Energy Upgrade, is not something I hugely publicize, it's just kind of come up now because it's topical, but it's actually people, mums, wives, even divorcees, it's finally improving their health and nutrition to the point that they've got self-confidence enough in themselves and their body again, that their libido and sex life comes back. In other words, they're turning on the oxytocin tap by re-engaging that part of themselves. So believe it or not, but my program often has this outcome along with the amazing weight loss benefits, the increased energy every day and restored self-confidence. On that note, if you want to inquire about the program, click the link in the show notes below to join my Facebook group, answer the group entry questions, and I'll be able to send you over the details about the program if weight loss more energy or reclaiming your self-confidence and sex life are things that you want to do through nutrition and lifestyle change. So the link's down below in the show notes. So it might not surprise you that one method of increasing oxytocin is through a massage, which when done properly should be an extended period of skin-to-skin contact. The other way is in fact all the ways that you've been doing in the past. Touch people and not in a peeping Tom kind of way. (laughs) None of that. But shake people's hands, hug people when you see them and not those silly side hugs. Anyone that side hugs me is culled from the Christmas card list. (laughs) A proper hug where your skin touches and you fully embrace one another. Kiss one another on the cheek, you know, get that physical contact in there. Put your arm around a friend or a colleague, snuggle on the couch, lounge on top of one another, whatever feels right in the moment. Again, don't be a bloody creeper. Be normal and do the right thing for the right friend or family member. Otherwise, your life is about to get hella weird. <laughs> From a nutrition perspective, many of the foods that are advised to support oxytocin levels are coincidentally those that foods that also boost libido and act as an aphrodisiac. Foods like figs, pumpkin seeds, avocados, watermelons, green tea, cacao, and omega-3 rich nuts and fish can all help with the production of oxytocin. So, they are the big four, the big four happy hormones. And in a healthy body with a healthy lifestyle, things are usually pretty stable and are as responsive as they should be. However, I have to tell you, the biggest culprit for destruction of our mental health, that which puts a significant limitation upon our body to do the right thing, and no drugs can fix this problem, and that is the damage that vegetable oils and sugar do to your body. These two culprits are devastating absolutely devastating to your body. And I personally think vegetable oils are in fact slightly worse than sugar because you'll find vegetable oils in foods that are somewhat healthy as they appear in both sweet and savory foods and almost all the foods in the health aisle as well. You've got to look out for these oils. I'm talking about canola oil, rapeseed oil, sesame oil, corn oil, cottonseed oil, rice bran oil, safflower oil, soy and soybean oil, and sunflower oil. Please... Please do not put any of these in your body, any of them. Don't cook with them. Make sure that uh, the foods that you're eating don't have them in it on the ingredient list. And it's important to note as well, these vegetable oils, they're actually not vegetable oils. They're nut and seed oils. Decades ago, the industry decided on the term vegetable oils so people felt better about using them, felt that they were healthier. It's a marketing myth. (laughs) You heard it here first. Well, you might not have, but you've heard it again. If the only step that you take for your mental health was to do nothing about exercise or nutrition, like adding healthy foods in, if the only thing you were going to do was to eliminate these destructive toxins, you would feel amazing. After a few weeks, after the detox passes, you would feel so light, present and functional Going cold turkey is never really my suggestion as bouncing back is inevitable. However, as you may have learned from other episodes of this show, there are some people that when it comes to sugar really need to go cold turkey due to them being not necessarily emotional eaters, but in fact, physiologically addicted. That's a totally different situation, but most people should take the progressive one tweak a week approach. The other thing to mention is that A lot of these hormones are either made or released in the gut. So, the state of your microbiome will be significantly impactful on the way that you experience depression, anxiety or happiness. And remember that many of the messages that travel around the body do so on these electrical highways that allow these feelings or electrical impulses to be moved around and realized by the body. And so, the maintenance of those electrical highways is really important too. Most often by foods with healthy fats that support the maintenance and speedy function of the central nervous system. One that I take every single day is lion's mane mushroom. That's really, really good for the maintenance of your electrical highway, aka your central nervous system. So... I hope that this has helped you understand how to hack your happy hormones from home in your own world. The fastest way to get there is to do a workout outdoors in the sun with a friend. <laughs> You're most of the way there. The endorphin, serotonin, dopamine and oxytocin will be back in the game and making you feel great again. And the big takeaway here for you, I hope, is that you have conscious control over your feelings. They're not some esoteric thing. And to remember that these things that you put in your body, good, bad or indifferent will impact the way your happy and sad hormones affect your body and state of mind. Remember, everything that you put into your body, that body is one single interconnected system. And no matter the solution you require, it will affect your whole being. Alrighty, that's all folks. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you or anyone you know could benefit from this episode, please share this with them and say, Maddie said this will make your life better. (laughs) Also, feel free to chuck this up on social media in your story. Give me a tag. I'd love to see that you're enjoying this episode or any of the episodes that we've put out. And the links to join the Facebook groups and inquire about my program are down in the show notes below. I'll catch you on the next one. Bye